back, my friends, to the In Obscuria podcast, a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal, and we put them in one of three categories, the lost, the forgotten, or the should-have-beens. My name is Kevin Williams, and this week I have, over on the other side, it's Robert Harrison. Cheers, sir. Cheers to you, sir. Thank you for the beer. Upside Dawn. That's the name of the beer? Upside Dawn. Upside Dawn. Mine That's is so socially early. acceptable. Mm. Socially acceptable beer. And how does it taste? It's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Very acceptable. It's cold. This is not bad. No, it's all right. It's the, Wednesday night. She's like, yeah, it's all right. It's Wednesday night. It's the upside dawn, so I'm I'm not really sure what they're going for there, but I'll take it. So cheers. Cheers. Kink. Clinky from us. Clinky from across, across the bar. All right. Well, what has been going on with you? I saw a couple of posts, and I just thought the listeners needed the scoop if you didn't follow the post that was on Facebook. So why oh, don't you enlighten just, us to what happened You know, to you? just normal, everyday happenings that happens to everybody on a routine basis. So it was just, you know, me driving down the road, minding my own business. And what were you driving in? So I was driving. A large truck, pickup truck, mm-hmm. uh, and I was pulling a utility trailer, red trailer. So a white truck, red trailer, just pretty, pretty normal, pretty normal, just run of the mill, looking you know like Joe construction worker, running around, blended in real well. If you ever need to rob or steal anything, do it in a white pickup truck. Nobody gives a damn what you're doing. They just assume you're working for the power company or the gas company. So side note there, but anyway, so I'm midday cruising across this intersection. It's called Cobb Parkway, intersecting with Wendy Hill Road major local intersection. There's like, was it eight lanes wide one direction, six lanes wide. So I'm cruising across this intersection. It's one of those that in the middle has kind of a hump in the middle. So at 45 miles an hour, I'm cruising along, hit that hump, and I feel a jolt and realize my trailer has come unhitched from my truck. And I know that because I feel that kind of that of the chain. No, is there not a chain? Yeah, so there's a safety chain. I'm not dumb. Well, I'm not that dumb, but I've got a safety chain, which you're should have and really should have two safety chains and that'll come into play but i had one safety chain because <laughs> it's not that big of a trailer but i felt that grab and i'm like okay instantly ascertain my trailer's come loose but the safety chain has held it's done its job i'm going to pull over put the trailer back on go about my way so i start to merge to the right and you know i'm slowing down so now i'm going 40 35 and I, there's a car coming so i let the car pass me and the, i the light is green at this point yeah I've, I've, I've gone through the, oh, gone through the intersection so i've plowed through this intersection trailer comes off the back i immediately start to merge to the right okay. to get off the road and I've got two more lanes to get across and so uh, the car that I see behind me I let that car pass me and then I look to start merging all of a sudden this car comes out of nowhere is passing me and I realize well that's my trailer <laughs> that's actually passing me now and if you've never had that happen it is the worst feeling ever I mean I've had bad stuff happen to me but to turn and see your own trailer passing you at about 35 40 miles an hour so I'm slowing down. Now, was there a gremlin on top of this yeah, thing driving it? it might as well have been. So actually, <laughs> and one more thing, we're going downhill. Oh. So as I'm slowing down to merge, the trailer's speeding up. <laughs> by itself and so it is now in front of me and so I speed up to keep up with it not I don't have a plan just yet I'm just going what the hell now the trailer does it not nose dive yes but, it, but it's still going it's still going and like sparks, the nose is sparking yeah, on the yeah. road it's not digging in it's just skipping along at this point <laughs> making okay. sparks okay. and so I get in behind the trailer once again I don't have a plan quite yet I'm Just this has all happened in the matter of about four or five seconds and so the trailer is veering a little bit to the 
right, like it's going off the side of the road. But there is a curb. And so I ascertained very quickly, okay, it's going to hit the curb. That's going to slow it down. And then I can wrangle it, get it back on the truck, and can then go about my way. No harm, no foul. Hasn't hit anybody. So as it swerves to the right, it hits the curb and then ricochets to the left. Oh, doesn't slow down. Traffic. Yeah, doesn't slow down a damn bit. So it cuts <laughs> me off. And I've got to hit the brakes and avoid my own trailer, which is now trying to kill me. <laughs> And it takes off to the left. And so I speed up again. And this time when I look, I look down the road and up ahead, there is a car sitting at a traffic light waiting to turn left. The trailer is heading an exact beeline trajectory towards this parked car. Now, are there other cars in other lanes avoiding this slowing yeah, behind down? Behind me. So now, thankfully, on. everybody that was behind me very intelligently determined, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> right. And they I'm just, just put on my brakes. Yeah, just laid back a little bit. And so I, I don't. I didn't look, but I'm assuming this is what happened because I'm focused once again on this trailer. Right. So once again, I do the calculations and see my trailer is going to ram this parked car and it's going to hit it pretty hard. Nobody's going to die, but it's going to be a bad day. Police, you know, citations, insurance claims. And these days, lawsuits, everybody sues for every little thing. This is all going through your head. All through my head. Yeah. This is within a split second. I realize I don't want that to happen. And so I accelerate and thank goodness I have 454 cubic inch. God bless America V8 in that truck. <laughs> 400 horsepower. I hit the gas and catch up with this trailer and I perform a pit maneuver. And if you're not familiar with a pit maneuver, you've seen on TV with police car chases where they yes. get behind it yes. and they hit the back corner and it spins the perpetrator. So that was you my spun plan. the perpetrator. Yeah, so I rammed my own trailer with my truck. How close is it to the car at this point? Oh, it's still a good... Uh, like how many 30, car, car lengths? Oh, like 10, 15 okay. car lengths. Okay. So when I hit it, it doesn't spin it all the way around, but it turns it just enough where it hits the median behind the car and what stops it finally is a no U-turn sign that the trailer just plows over and lands on top of the no U-turn sign. Oh! So then the lady, bless her heart, looks behind her. This lady that had been in a parked car just waiting to turn left, mind her own business, has hears this commotion and looks behind her, like wants to get out or something. I'm like motioning, like go, just drive, please go. I've got to get, <laughs> get this trailer. Yeah. yeah, I want to collect my trailer and get the hell out of here as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So she finally turns. I pull in front of the trailer. So now I'm in the intersection, the next intersection down the road. You're not in the turn lane. Well, in the turn lane, but I've pulled forward in order to back up to my trailer. So I'm uh, blocking the next intersection. Oh, wow. Back up to my trailer. It takes me two tries. I grab the trailer like that adrenaline that they talk about. It was just coursing through my veins because the trailer felt like it weighed five pounds. Normally, it's one of these things where I have to stop, think about what I'm doing, limber right, up a little bit, right. loosen up and you know grab it with intent because it's pretty heavy. But it just didn't, I mean, it like felt like a feather. So I grabbed the trailer, hitch it up, pull the trailer off of the sign and almost drove away. But I stopped and thought that's the only thing they can get me for is destruction of public property because I've destroyed the sign. So I stopped and I leave my truck in the middle of the intersection and calmly walk back. I didn't run. I just thought, yeah, I just, you know, whatever. I'm going to go straighten the sign. It took me a couple of tries to bend the sign back. Okay. I, so it didn't totally rip it off. No, it's but just... it just crumbled it over. So I bent the sign back up into place and twisted it back where it's facing the way it's supposed to be. So the sign pole is like a piece of spaghetti, but yeah. the sign itself is fine. So I just looked around and I expected there'd be a crowd, somebody taking pictures or a cop or something. I mean, all this commotion and calamity, nobody gave a damn. People were just, just driving by. Like, I don't just, care. Like, you're in my way. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna and go I just looked you. around and kind of brushed my hands off, brushed myself off, Out. got in my truck, went about to what I was doing and, you know, kind of yep. hyperventilated on the way up to where I was going, just... 
What, what time of day was this? 11.30. Okay, you got lucky there. Yeah. Because it, had it's, it been it's later lunch, in the day. Later in the day, there would have been cars. I mean, it could have easily tagged four or five cars. It was like pinball game. And it, oh. could, have co- it could have gone into oncoming traffic. I mean, all the horrible things that could have happened for the rest of the day. I mean, I couldn't. It was hard to sleep that night. I was still wound up. But the, it was funny to think about because it worked out perfect. I, I could not have planned any better. But because I rammed it and spun it, it didn't hit the car. I mean, I've got to replace the chain on it. That just came. You saw the Amazon package sitting on the doorstep. That's a new two two new safety chains Ooh. with safety clips so the chain can't just pop off like it did. So lesson learned, if you've got a utility trailer, go check your safety chains. Make sure you got pins in the hitch. <laughs> when you go over intersections, maybe slow down just a little bit. Wow. And then if your trailer comes off, just ram the hell out of it. Wow. It was kind of fun, but kind of scary. Like You're trying to get the footage, right? Yeah. So anyway, the there's traffic cameras. This is a huge intersection. There's traffic cameras everywhere. Called our local department of transportation. And they're like, well, you know, you kind of need a subpoena or something like that. So I've got a friend of mine who's an attorney, which good friend to have, defense attorney, just in case. You never know. He's going to maybe look into it, see if we can pull the footage. And you you know, if I get the footage or any footage of it, I'll post it. But it may take a, a minute or two to get the footage. So keep your fingers crossed that I can pull something to prove that. Because first of all, nobody's going to believe me that happened. But I've got the dent in the front of my truck and the scrapes on that trailer I've, to prove it. I've known you long enough that I don't question things like this <laughs> that happen to you on a weekly basis. It's, yeah, the absolutely insane stuff. Not mildly stupid, but God weird. I mean, chasing meth heads, hit and run drivers. Remember the meth head? I tracked him down and got him arrested. I mean, just it just keeps life really interesting. So yeah, it's much better than making up stuff. It's just hang out with me. There needs to be a camera crew or a dash cam. I'm getting a dash cam next time. You need a body cam. Body cam. Yeah, just like like cops have. Just just roll it all day long. You never know. Well, after you play Human Frogger, go listen to Pot of Thunder, Cobras and Fire, Growing Up Rock, Slam Fest Podcast, Decibel Geek, A to Z Radio, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Hustle, Disciples of the Watch, Podcast Rock City, State of America, Rock Strikes 10, Potter Than Hell, Podcast, The Kiss Room, Ages of Rock, Retro Zest Podcast, The Synaptic Empire, and don't forget about Monty, Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us at inobscuria.com, like us, share us, recommend us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, leave us a review, five stars only please, and go buy our shit, done. Do we have Potted Meat up on the uh, webpage? No, I don't believe they allow us to sell that. Oh, we can't resell it? We can't resell, oh, yes. Okay. Yes, sorry about that. I'll look into it. All right, so what are we doing today, sir? That's a good question. I was going to ask you the same thing. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Other I than drinking you, beer and I, telling stupid stories. Well, I thought you may not have something. So I thought. I am if, not prepared. If you're up for this, I thought maybe we could try something that people tell me work. Um, but Give me a rerun, a best of show? No, that's a good idea, though. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to episode 62. No, let's try a little meditation. You want to you try this? Oh, God. After that incident, yeah, I need a lot of that. So All right. drink beer and go. Yeah, I don't know. Breathe in. I don't know if beer is supposed to be part of it, but um, yeah, breathe in. Breathe in. Well, you take your shoes off first. Oh. Yeah. No, wait. T- put them back on. Ooh. Put them back on. Put them back on. <laughs> Blame that on the dog. All right. Let's get into your lotus position, if you will. <clears throat> More right. Ferrari position. Find. Oh, nice. Let's find our chi here and breathe. Breathe. Hang All on. right. Let's see if we get something. All right. No, 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 no. Leave the powder alone. Leave the powder alone. <laughs> okay. All right, just breathe in. Yeah, just normal air. Yes, not white powdery air. Okay. Anything? We get, something's going to come to us. It'll give us something. Oh, ooh, that's nice. Ooh, that's pretty nice. Mm. I'm going to bring my yoga mat next time. Ooh. 
I'm getting some visions. Oh, this is great. <sighs> Hanging out with my hippie friends. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, we got a little jam going. Is this? <laughs> it's Zamfir! Oh my god, it's Zamfir! <laughs> yeah! Oh, yes. This is awesome. Ah, Zamfir. <laughs> Ronnie James D.O.G. likes it, too. He likes it, too. How can you not like the magic uh, of the pan flute? This is wonderful. <sighs> Are you relaxed? I'm starting to feel relaxed, oh, too. I mean, I'm getting visions. Dude, I need to just lay down. Yes. Yeah. Is, is he covering Marillion? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but it's so oh, amazing. Oh, my God, man. We talked about Zamfir just last week. Yeah. Wow. How did it just pop up when we're meditating? That's quinky. I don't know about you, but I, I got a vision. Oh, really? Yeah. What about you? Anything? Oh, yeah. That was memories of uh, camping last weekend, out in the woods. Oh, I got a different, I got a different vision. Oh. I got a vision of tattoos. What? Yeah. Well, she had yeah. tattoos. I got a vision of, of <laughs> tattoos on, on two arms. One arm says metal. Oh, the other arm says cowboy. cowboy. Oh yeah, I think that's what we're gonna do. I think it's time. We've talked about it. That's right, people. This is episode ninety-three. Ron Kill getting keel hauled. Songs from the road. Killaholics. Killaholics. <laughs> Let's talk about some kill, man. Nice. What do you think? Yes. Uh, what a great guy. New friend to the podcast. Just great interview. Great all-around guy. Saw him stopped a couple of times by people at the uh, Rock and Pod, and he just would stay there and talk to people as long as they need, as long as he needed to. He was just real cool, down-to-earth guy. Absolutely. So we, like Robert said, we had a chance to sit down and talk to Ron a few weeks ago, and I'm going to play some of the clips from us speaking with Ron, and then we're going to listen to some more obscure Ron music, and we'll just get into it. Surprise. <laughs> this is what this is all about, Ron. We're competitive here. You're in the zone now. You're Great in to be here. Right on. First and foremost, I am speaking to Ron Kill, the 14-year-old in me, Ron, right now giggle, is giggle, freaking giggle. the fuck out, okay? Because I was this little punk rock skater kid, okay? I was listening to Black Flag and Dead Kennedys. That was my jam when I was 14. And for some reason, I bought a Hip Parader magazine, okay? And on the back cover of this particular Hip Parader magazine, there was an ad for this album called Keel. And there was a picture of these guys that looked like they were from Road Warrior, and they were standing in the Fortress of Solitude with, like, a dry ice going around. I'm like, I don't know why, but I got to know what this is. Yeah. And I checked it out, and it is one of my favorite albums of all time. I love the self-titled Kill album, man. I think that one especially just blew it away. I love Thank you. that I appreciate album. that. It's great to be Rocks. in Obscuria. <laughs> <laughs>
I wish I would remember to ask him, how many tracks did that take for that course? <laughs> I mean, that's one of the biggest, most epic lyric in a core. I don't know, just biggest 80s rock and roll anthem style. Everybody sing along. That should have been a huge hit in, yeah. my, in my book. So that is United Nations. That is the first song that is on that cassette tape that I bought in 1987. And I was 14. I didn't know Jack about recording. So I'm thinking like, wow, did he like fill up a, a theater or yeah. a stadium and get, that's a, wait, that's and get all these people like. to do this? Or just layer himself yeah, so 50 I, times. I, I think I'd later remember reading that he had something like 80 overdubs that's like, about just right. combining it combining yeah. it combining it of the of the band doing it mm-hmm. and whoever else so was in the it's studio. a lot cheaper than paying for a choir that is but you know when you're 14 you're like wow but it just but it i mean came to 14 year old supposed to come across as. exactly to 14 year old ears yeah. man that was huge and that song to me i mean it, it kicked off that whole album and again i'm coming from a punk rock guy that's what i was mm-hmm. listening to and I, I bought this just on a whim because i thought it looked cool and this is the first thing i hear and I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Done. I'm sold. Signed up. The guitars are amazing. The the lead from the two guitarists in Kiel at that time, mm-hmm. just amazing, man. Really, really good stuff. I think it was Mark Ferrari and Brian Jay, if I'm right. But anyway, I just wanted to kick it off with a song from Kiel. Now, obviously, Kiel, with that album and with the two previous albums, they sold respectfully. So we're not going to focus too much on the Kiel stuff because that's kind of the stuff people know. Mm-hmm. But we are going to go with some of the more obscure stuff that Ron's done. So let's go back to talk to Ron a little bit, and then we'll hear something else. So, obviously, what we do here is we talk about obscure bands, man. We focus on bands I'm that... I'm out of here. You're, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're not no, one I, of them. We're not talking about you. We're all somewhat obscure. I mean, you, you have to realize the biggest selling album of all time sold 66 million copies. And that means billions of people. Yeah, when you run the percentages, yes, yeah. you're, you're I right. I mean, I sold 3 million records, and most people never heard of me. So, <laughs> I, I'm very thankful for the, all the opportunities and all the dreams come true. So, yeah. and, and especially to be on the show with you guys. Thanks for what you're doing and thanks for having me on the show absolutely man so we'll talk about bands that are forgotten or lost you know just bands underrated that, underrated uh, should have been bands that should have been, been huge hey, man, i'm in the right place at the right time <laughs> very cool <laughs> so so with that i'll just ask you out of the gate who is an artist or a band that you were just like why in the hell was this band not huge well i can always find the reasons behind uh, or at least we can always make judgments why some of our favorite bands weren't as huge as they should have been whether it was uh, black and blue Mm-hmm. A band that I thought when we were coming up through the club scene in L.A. and Hollywood in 82, 83, 84, you would think that Black and Blue had the best path to success. They had the huge deal with Geffen, Dieter Dirks from Scorpions fame producing their album. A great sounding record, great songs, the best live show in the business, and they didn't quite get over that hump. Right. A band like Icon. Icon. We just played Icon. Band, yeah. That band, uh, of course, you can point to the reasons why they weren't uh, as successful as we thought they were going to be. Icon had two of the best albums, two of my favorite albums, Night of the Crime from we Icon. We just played a song from Night of the Crime. That is one of my top five all-time albums. We just played Missing just a few minutes ago. Oh my God, what a great song. But you know that when that album came out, lead vocalist Stephen Clifford quit the band just as the album was coming out and they were about to break huge. The lead singer quits. So you you realize, well, that's kind of why. I mean, you can... Takes the air out of the sand pretty quick. The record company backs off. They stop bundling the tour support and the financial support that a band like that needed and they get a replacement singer who, whether he was good or not, doesn't matter. It's not that guy. It's not the guy that's on the record. And you can 
can put bands like Lillian Axe, Keel, into those in categories. That Do you put yourself in there? I, I mean, don't. I, I, you guys, uh, I don't, to me, man. you guys should have been, I think you should have been bigger than you were, but you did have some success, right? Yes, you, I had I had more success probably than I deserved. And I'm still, <laughs> I wouldn't go I'm that still far. here, man. I wouldn't go that far, dude. I'm still here. I'm still here. And I, I've had a great life and a great run, 40 years in the business, 50 albums, millions of records sold, and money in the bank. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with what I've done. Of course, you always want to do more. You want to do better. You want to you want to shoot for the moon, but mm-hmm. uh, if you only make it, you know, so far, a lot of that's out of my control. A lot of it was. So we're going to pause here the interview and we're going to play something that I think should have been added to that list. So I asked Ron, I said, do you put yourself in that category? And he said, no, because Kill, the band, his band Kill, did sell some records, but he was in a band prior to that mm-hmm. that should have just exploded. And if you remember, we talked about Kill in our first Rock and Pod episode, we were kind of getting prepared and we played some Kill from another album, but mm-hmm. we were talking about the band Steeler and we mentioned that Ron formed Steeler in Nashville, Tennessee in the late 70s and realized that he was not going to be able to make a living in a rock band in Nashville in the late 70s, so they moved to L.A. in 1981. And they got a song on the first Metal Massacre album. If that sounds familiar, that was the album that Metal Blade Records put out in 1982, and Steeler was song number one on this compilation. First track. First track. The other two bands that are very well known for being on this compilation, one was an unknown band called Metallica. Who? And the other one was a band that people had heard of, but they hadn't released anything yet. They were called Rat. And so Steeler has song number one on the first pressing. Now, on subsequent pressings, they were pulled off and another band was put in place. And I want to say it's Black and Blue. So mm. I thought that was interesting. But Steeler, just from that alone, I mean, that there was a whole bunch of those metal massacres in the 80s and it actually helped a lot of bands get signed and get bigger deals. Just compilation albums, basically. Yeah. So anyway, they were on that and then Shrapnel Records did sign them. Now, Shrapnel was known for being this up-and-coming kind of guitar, virtuoso, hotshot guitarist kind of label. And so Steeler got a new guitarist by the name of Ingve Malmsteen who was kind of new to the L.A. scene at that time, this guy from Sweden, who I think most people know who this guy is today. We're going to see him in the fall. Yes. <laughs> we have Which to is going to be amazing. hazmat suits and breathing apparatus. We're going to yes, go see him. we are going to go see it. Yeah, so Steeler, they released one album on Shrapnel, and then they just kind of imploded. Some of that had to do with Ingve, but some of it just had to do it just didn't work for whatever reason. But the album, people still love this album to the day. It's infamous. The Steeler album is just called Steeler. Again, came out in 1983. Here's a little no way out from Steeler.
early 80s at its finest. I chose that song because that's one of the only co-writes between Keel and Malmsteen. Oh, yeah? Yeah, on the album. I can, just can't get past the guitar tone. It's just... Gnarly, it, isn't it? It's, it's as if you have this massive equalizer in the recording room, and they've just pushed all the sliders all the way down. And it's early 80s thing. Randy Rhodes had a similar sound. There's other guitarists where you fast forward five years, and all of a sudden, the guitar effects just take over, and there's just layers on layers and layers. But that's just the purest form of the guitar. You can hear every little thing going on. And when you've got Ingve, there's a lot going on. There's <laughs> a whole he, lot. He, he crams a lot in there that might have gotten lost. But some of his later stuff, just you know, way over the top. I mean, that's what he was known for. That's what the '80s were, right? Over the top. But still, I, I, it's so funny listening to that. I mean, the vocals sound great, and it's just a cool mix. But when you think of tone, it's an interesting mishmash mm. because if you've heard the first two Malmsteen albums, you know, after this is yeah. where he went on and did the first two Rising Force albums. It's very much leading up to that. So the mm. first bit and then the bridge, very much what you would expect to hear on Rising Force mm. and Marching Out, the follow up. But then the rest of it's like what you would expect to hear on the first couple of Kiel albums. Yep. So it's kind of an interesting mix. For whatever reason, it didn't work, but definitely uh, one that we would throw in the probably should have been bigger like, than it if was. If they had stuck around for another album, then they probably would have morphed into, you know, once again, the rats and everything else that came out and then, you know, hit it big with the more traditional, what we think of as hair bands. Right. You start off with just kind of that weird rock between late 70s, early 80s. I'm kind of glad it happened the way it did because we got two really major, in, in my book, major artists out of this band. Yeah, in the ashes. With Keel and with Malmsteen. And yeah. Malmsteen probably would have overshadowed you think Ron so? Keel if they would have stayed together Who's, because they were going to focus on that guitar because that who, was the 80s. Who would he have not overshadowed? Well, I mean, he had Jeff Scott Soto singing for him yeah. and most people don't talk about Jeff Scott right. Soto as, as the Malmsteen guy. They talk about him in other... David Lee Roth's one of the only people that could have withstood a Van Halen onslaught. You know, he, he was a great front man back in the day and he was one of the few people he had to be so over the top because otherwise he would have gotten lost just like you said. The major difference I see between Malmsteen and Van Halen is Van Halen, Eddie wrote songs like yes. He wrote songs to be songs mm -hmm. versus Malmsteen wrote songs to show, show off his capabilities right. and what he could do. It was a vehicle. It, yeah, it was a way for him to promote his singing with yeah. his guitar. No, Van Halen wrote really hooky riffs and songs and catchy lines. And that's one reason I idolize him versus Yngwie. I looked at Yngwie from the before I even played guitar and went, that's crazy. I'll never do that. Yeah, It's, it, it's it fun to listen to, to because it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's amazing. What can be done? on a guitar I'll never be able to do that whereas with Eddie I never dreamed I would be anywhere close to him but there were songs I could learn you could play the rhythm parts I could play and, the rhythm parts and you could fake and like half of the solo the yeah <laughs> the, the time I took the tablature out of a magazine of Eruption and tried first of all what poor soul had to sit down and figure out tablature for Eruption like what note was that <laughs> <laughs> but I sat down and tried to learn it for like a week. And I got, I think, 12 or 13 seconds into that solo before I was like, oh, no, this is no way. This is impossible. I can't do this. I will have to go other routes Yeah, I with can, my music. I can fake like about 10 seconds of that solo interruption. So anyway, it just makes you respect it even more when you do stuff like that. I'm glad I did. All right, let's get back to Ron Keel and our interview with him. I'm a rock and roll. 
a lot of it was my fault. And I will take the fall for a lot of those bad decisions that were made along the way. But a couple of the big ones, first of all, was the 86 Final Frontier. Yeah. The album before the one you're with, talking with about. Gene in production, Jerry. We had a tour book with Metallica. We were the opening act on the entire Metallica tour. And James Hetfield broke his wrist in a skateboarding accident. I remember that. And yep. the tour was canceled. So all of a sudden, we're done. You're about to tour with Metallica for right. the whole year. Whose trajectory is just going up. Yeah. 86. They were huge. Keel would have been a great opening act on that tour. And then all of a sudden, James Hetfield goes skateboarding, breaks his wrist, and he's done. Right. No tour. So, I mean, that's out of my control. I can't factor that in. But that was a big factor for us. Let me ask this question before you move on. Were you guys, for that tour, do you remember, were you guys going to focus on like the heavier Kill stuff to work that crowd over? You probably would have done that. You wouldn't have played the ballads, but right. you're still going to play Tears of Fire. Right. Right. You're still going right. to do the, You're going to play what? You're going to play the hits. Got you there, yeah. You're play the hits. Yeah. yeah, okay. But you would just uh, gear the show to be a little heavier when you're opening for Metallica as right. opposed to opening for Bon Jovi, yeah. which we did uh, in 87 on that self-titled then you album. Can pull out the, then you can pull out your then, ballads. Then you're going to do yeah. the, the more commercial songs and right. the wrong thing, Right Girl, Cherry Lane. And, oh, God, dude. You know, all, all that <laughs> stuff. Just mentioning those songs. Yeah. Like, oh, so, I yeah, it. and I still tailor my show to the audience in front of me. Makes if sense, I'm playing yeah. a bike event or a rock club or a state fair or whatever I'm doing, I know what that audience needs and wants tonight, and I always try and tailor my show to give them what they came for. I'm sorry, you were going somewhere else with a, a second point there about why you feel like oh, it was the, your the, the choice of singles yeah. on uh, the uh. Final Frontier album, which is critical. Back in the day, at least it was, and it still is now to a big extent. When the Final Frontier came out, the record company insisted on Because the Night as the first single, yep. which is a great song, and I did it last night at the Mercy Lounge. Yes. I mean, it's People part, love that song, It's man. part of my life, part yeah. of my career, but it was a nail in the coffin at the time because we were following the right to rock, right. which was a huge, big rock anthem, anthem. Yep. with a cover song, ballad. People thought we were selling out, and I told the record company at the time, I said, this is a mistake. You've got to come out with Rock and Roll Animal. You've got to give them an anthem. You've got to, that first single's got to be something that establishes your identity. Mm-hmm. And That's M- what killed M- Saxon. Remember Saxon yeah, put out yeah, that cover yeah. song and like totally yeah. killed MCA them. MCA put millions yeah. of dollars behind because the night it didn't work, and it really hurt us at the time. So, it is a team effort. Yep. Nobody can take the entire blame for that, but God bless MCA. They spent $5 million to break that single and it didn't happen. But Whose they, choice was that song? Was Richard Palmeasy, the okay. uh, head of A&R at MCA right. Records. He, so says, he said, you should do this. This is going to work. Well, the choice of the song was me and Gene Simmons. Okay. Gene and I loved the, our version of the song and wanted to put it on the record. If I had known it would have been the first single, I would have cut it. Right. There's no way. If I had known they were going to put that out as the first single, I would have not put it on the yeah. record. Why would but, you put a cover out as your first single? No, yeah. you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't follow up the right to rock with Because the Night. Nowadays, it works in the context of my career and my show. All right, so Ron mentions the single for The Final Frontier being a cover song, and he also mentions that they should have released Rock and Roll Animal. So why don't we listen to a live version of Rock and Roll Animal? And this comes off an album that I just got. I only hot just press. got It's hot off the press. So I only just got this vinyl. I had to get it imported from overseas somewhere. And the album is called Larger Than Live. It came out in 1989. And for some reason, by 1989, Kill, it was hard to get the newer stuff. I'm not certain what label this is on. I didn't look, but what happened was Mark Ferrari and Brian Jay, who were the guitarist in Kiel, after that self-titled album, they tour with Bon Jovi. He mentioned it in the interview, and then they kind of split and go their own way. Mark Ferrari was in a band, I believe, if I'm, my memory's right, called Cold Sweat. Mm. And they kind of had like a fairly decent single around this same time, 1989. And so I think in my head, I knew that the Cold Sweat thing was going on. I didn't know that Kill released a live album. It's called Larger Than Live. 
live. And what it is is first side, side A is all new tracks and side B are the live tracks. Mm -hmm. And I just had never seen it, never found it. Finally got it imported just a few weeks ago. And we're going to listen to the live cut of Rock and Roll Animal from this album from 1989 with some newer guitarists playing.
have to agree with him. That probably would have been a better choice for a single. In, in 1986, yeah, that would have been huge. A good sing-along, easy. Yeah, he was right. That sucks. Oh, well. Headfield, skateboarding, dumbass. <laughs> I wonder what the Metallica crowd at that point in time, because that would have been Master of Puppets. I wonder what that would have been It like was still them. pretty pure, let's just say. It was devoid of people like me who came along at the next junction. Yeah, because I saw them on the next tour. Yeah. I saw Metallica on the Justice tour. Yeah. I liked them at that point, but they were not coming around and tour anywhere near me, so I can say I got on the bandwagon pretty much with everybody else. Yeah, it would have been interesting to, yeah. to see the reaction. But they there, ramped because... it up a little bit. They might have been okay with it. You know? Yeah, that's why I asked them the question about yeah. his set, because I assume they were just focused on the heaviest stuff and maybe even sped up. But you never know. Things. Ten guys up front start booing, and then everybody joins in. And I think they would have gone over okay. I saw Queensryche open for Metallica and that went over really well. Yeah, they didn't get booed off stage. Yeah, so. But when was that? That was... After that their big Silent 80, Lucidity? That would have been 89. Yeah, that was Silent Lucidity. No, it was before that. Oh, it right was, before? It was Mindcrime. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were they were still an opening band when they did Mindcrime. Maybe they, they were just, you know, obscure and cool enough. I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. We'll never know. Never knew. We'll never know. So why don't we get back to our discussion with Mr. Ron Kill? Yeah. So how about this? I know, especially in, in this room, you get asked a lot of Gene Simmons questions, but I guess not, not yet. Not today. Not nobody today. nobody has yet asked wow. me, but I got plenty and to say. You've got two, you've got two albums that Gene produced. Tell me this. How is he in the production chair versus the Gene that everybody else knows? Are there sides of Simmons? It was amazing. It was amazing. And every session that I do to this day, Gene Simmons is the little demon on my shoulder coaching no me pun intended. the session. No, yeah. no pun intended. He taught me so much about song structure, guitar recording, bass guitar and kick drum patterns, how they work together in sync. Doom, 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 doom. Following the heartbeat, the, the, yeah. You've got to follow that heartbeat. Gene taught me so much in those early years, and his love and passion for rock and roll and for music and making the great records was infectious and is still a part of everything that I do to this day. So he's extremely underrated as, uh, of course, the uh, money and uh, the makeup. That's what and, people see. You know, yeah. All that kind of gets in the way, but I know the guy that fell in love with rock and roll. and right. He loves rock and rock history so much. We would sit and listen to the old mountain records or the who or whatever he would play me uh, a kiss song and then he'd play me the song that he stole that kiss song right <laughs> it was amazing like uh, if I had a guitar with me I could show you my generation do 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 my generation by the Who. People try to put us down, but it's the same riff as "Stand up, you don't have to be afraid." Get down. It's the same riff, and she would just sit there and show me. This is the Who song, right. and this is the Kiss song. And he would show me. You just take the seventh instead of. He, yeah. would, he would show me how he ripped off all of his little Rolling Stones or Beatles or the Who, and yeah. it was just some amazing. Hey, if you're gonna rip somebody off, do a good band, right? Gene told me, and start this, with the top. This is one of my big. I, I learned a lot from this guy. He said, Ron, only steal from the best. <laughs> And I've been stealing from the best all my entire life. Sage advice. And he also told me, he says, Rod, you know this Right to Rock song? You're going to be singing this for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> yeah. I didn't you expect to live this long, but shit, man. <laughs> what, 37 years later, I'm still singing. The right to all right, so there's Ron talking about Gene Simmons, which is awesome that he even does the voice. Gene Simmons. <laughs> Hello, Ron. Uh, Ron, uh, 
So he talks about, uh, you know, stealing from the best. And that sounds like such a Gene quote. I have no issue hearing that in Gene's words. Don't he's be, probably said it before. Don't be Peter Chris. <laughs> so let's see how Ron does when he covers Kiss. Here's a little cover he did that came out on the reissue of the Metal Cowboy album in 2014. Here's a little rock and roll hell. <laughs>
So what part of Rock and Roll Hell was Gene singing? I'm, sorry, I'm assuming that was a Gene. That was a Gene cut. Yeah, yeah like obviously. The, like Endless Hookers and Blow, Truckloads of Money. Like, just it's just a rough, God, <laughs> Rock and Roll Hell <laughs> that he experienced. Poor guy. So obviously, if you know Kiss, that came off of the 1982 classic Creatures of the Night, which actually didn't sell that well, but everybody seems to love that album mm. because it was Kiss after The Elder and after Unmasked and after Dynasty coming back and saying, okay, we're a metal band. Let's just We're just going to own up. We're going to move forward in the 80s, and this is what we're going to do. Mm. And a great Kiss album, if you don't know that album, weird, but... <laughs> <laughs> to me, the Kill version of this, so that is off of, I mentioned it, it came off of the Metal Cowboy album that I have, which came out in 2014, but he actually released it before that. And last week we were doing our Tribute to Kiss episode, and we talked about an album that supported a Canadian cancer benefit, and it was an album called A World with Heroes. And that's where the first version of this came out. Uh was on that back in 2013. So he released it a, a year later, I believe, with Metal Cowboy. But really cool version of a Kiss cover by Ron Kill. If you're going to cover somebody, mm-hmm. do it right. Do it right, and he does. So let's get back to our discussion with Mr. Ron Kill. How old were you when, when Right to Rock was released? I was 23. 23. So, yeah, your, your concept of the rest the of rest your life. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't exist. Yeah, you, you think 30 is old. Yeah, exactly. yeah. What, another 10 years, maybe? Exactly. Now, I'm, I'm really proud to be an elder statesman in the business. A guy, I mean, I've lasted. Like my heroes, Sammy uh, Hagar, Steven Tyler, oh, yeah. Rob Halford, these guys that I love mm. and admire, they are still delivering great quality music and shows at their age. And they keep inspiring me to thinking, hey, maybe I can go of the 10 years if they can maybe i can so i, I embrace well, that role i'm not i'm not trying to yeah. hide my age or lie about it i am proud to be 60 years old and you sounded great last night yeah, just i was so just gonna knows. mention that yeah, it was, really sounded good thank you yeah like you were hitting notes last time like there's no way he's gonna hit that note oh my god he hit that he note. hit that note i was thinking the same thing <laughs> when i was up there hitting the notes i'm gonna there's yeah. no way i'm gonna hit this note and i, I hit it you yeah, hit it man it was, it was <laughs> glorious dude it's awesome to hear that we needed that All right, so let's hear what Ron Keel sounds like these days. We're going to play something off of a 2019 album. And just to give a little context, the trajectory of Ron's career, he's done all sorts of things. He's been on radio. He's you know, he's always doing something. Country, Ron. He's done country, and he's going to talk about that in a little bit. But he just, not only music. I mean, he was there's a documentary about some band that almost made it but didn't. And I'm trying to remember the name of the documentary. I'll, I'll, Big Jack Pneumatic? Well, there's that, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's. A, I think it's called Hair I Go Again instead of Here I Go right. Again. Hair I Go Again. So check that out. Ron is the producer that this these guys, like 20 years or 30 years later, they come back and are like, we never got to release our album. We want to try to do uh-huh. this. And they're all like, they went on to do like normal everyday job kind of a things. And they're trying to get back together and get back in shape to do it. And Ron is there to That's help. That's hilarious. Them. It's really good. I've thought about that. Like, what, like today, I'd have to relearn all of my songs. I can't remember how I played them. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'm not going to lie and say that I'm a fan of the output of what they did, yeah. but the story is oh, what's yeah, important. Exactly. It's pretty cool. But at one point, Kill, he relocated to Sioux Falls, South Dakota in 2014 to become a radio host on a station called KBAD, which was the Badlands Pawn Gold and Jewelry. It was like this huge place in South Dakota that had like everything awesomely redneck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everything that's like guns and jewelry. And not, 
you know, just everything yeah. you need. And they had their own radio station and they had this amazing, I don't know if you call it a saloon or a, it was like a small hall, a music oh. hall. And Ron was the house band. So he put together this band. It was, they called it the Badlands House Band. Well, something went wrong with that whole enterprise in 2017. They ceased operations due to some sort of issues. So owner was snorting all the profits. I don't know what happened, but don't need to get into that story. But the Badlands House Band then became the Ron Keel Band. And that is the band he has to this day. He still lives in South Dakota. And that's the band that he tours with. And they put out two albums. The first one was called Fight Like a Band. It came out in 2019. So he's talking about being an elder statesman. Let's see how well he's aged. His voice is like fine wine. This is a uh, song from the Ron Keel Band called Road Ready. Thank you. 
Well, he had obviously not heard about my driving when he wrote that song. <laughs> not want to be on the road with me. Yes. How uh, appropriate yeah. this evening. No, he sounds great. I now, mean, the other song you played, I could not get Blackie Lawless's name out of my head. Just He had much more growl in that one. This song, it was just more straight ahead rock and roll. Sounded great and everything. Yeah, I mean, his voice is aged really well, mm-hmm. and he can still, oh, like I said, way, he's still hitting those a lot notes. higher than I could ever hit back in the day, even. You know, we're getting ready to talk to him about what I consider like his ultimate, just how did you hit the notes? But this is not too far removed. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I listen to this song, especially this, this album is him doing the metal cowboy thing. So he goes off and does country music, really focuses on that in the 90s. And then he kind of realizes, hey, I can bring both worlds in. And so that's when he kind of becomes this metal cowboy. And that's mm-hmm. kind of his whole mantra right now is that's who he is. So he, he goes kind of between country tinged rock tunes and, and back to kind of doing the metal thing. And this is, you know, the first song on the album, which sets it off as the metal, but then you get some more countrified kind mm-hmm. of rock as well. But super cool. And I mean, that song alone, I hear that and I think, why isn't this guy opening for Iron Maiden? I could totally see that, man. Yeah. People would dig it. But, you know, whatever reason, uh, I'll see what I can do, Rhonda, to make that happen. We'll make some calls. They have a new album coming out this week. So let's see what we can do to, to get you on that tour. Let's hear a little bit more from Ron. And this time we're going to talk about Japanese metal. Of course we are. We're in Obscuria. Here we go. On the drive from Atlanta to Nashville, I put in something for Robert that I want to talk about. It's called Saber Tiger. Okay. So this is where we get obscure. This is a long story. It's a good story. I got to hear this, man. Man, the story behind Saber Tiger, how the record happened. How did this even happen with you? Oh, my goodness. It's a great story. Because you're doing country at this point, right? I was doing country music at a place called, what was it, the some honky-tonk saloon in Phoenix, Arizona. And I had a great band, six-piece band, the best players in town, and I was paying them well and all that. But I wasn't making shit. I was probably making 50 bucks a night, you know, and with a wife and kids. And uh, that was a, I did some good music and, and some good business in the 90s with country music. But this is one of those downtimes where you're just, you're trying to keep the guys working. And I came home that night and we didn't have uh, cell phones or computers at the time. This is 1995, yep. 96. And there was a fax on my desk that said, hello, we are Fandango Records from Hokkaido, Japan. And we have just signed Akahito Kinoshita, huge guitar he, he said that a lot better than I did, by the way. Akihito sounds, yeah, that was a little bit better. I've had a little practice. Uh, we just signed him to a big record deal, and we wanted an American singer to do this project. How much would you charge to make contract? And so I, there's a phone number, and it's, it's two in the morning. I've just been playing this country bar, right. and I'm drunk off my ass. I've played four sets. I come home, I have a couple cocktails, and I, I'm just looking at the facts. Going, all right, I call the guy in, in Japan. It's uh, eight o'clock in the morning. It's eight o'clock in the morning in Tokyo. And I get on the phone with them, and they pretty much reiterated what the facts said. We want American singer for this project. How much you charge to make contract? I said, I'll do it for seventy grand. They said, We call you right back. <laughs> I got the phone, had another cocktail. Did you pull that one out of your ass? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good round number. Yes, yeah, 70 grand? That's not good to me. Yeah. He called me back five minutes later and says, we give you $30,000. I said, I'm there. No. <laughs> 
so meet me I at went, the airport. Exactly. I went to Japan. Did so that. You, I was going to ask that. This was before virtual recording, right? You had to go yes, there and do I it. Yes, I went yeah. there and uh, kept my band working, you know, my country band, working at that same shitty honky-tonk for 50 bucks a night while I went to Japan and made 30 grand. But what a great record and the heaviest album oh of my, my God, entire so career. Heavy. I did go into intense vocal training for that record. This is what I was going to ask. Absolutely. So you were hitting notes. This is 1997. I guess 96 when you record it, right? It comes out in 97. You were hitting notes in that where I was like, he wasn't even hitting those notes when he did the first Kill album. It was very aggressive, too. They wanted angry, loud, mean, aggressive vocals on that record, and they pushed me every day. Another great story, if we have a moment. Yeah, I'm not seeing anybody All right. get us yet. Yeah. The first day of the session. First day. And this story's in my book, Even Keel, Life on the Streets of Rock and Roll. I knew in he was going to promote this promoter, man. <laughs> of course. Professional. But, but I love the story because I went in that first day into the studio in Hokkaido, Sapporo, Japan, and I did the easiest song. The one that was the most melodic, Which commercial, the most Give Me All Your Love Tonight. Okay. We played Hardwire on the show oh, yeah. the other day. I did I Give Me All song. Your Love Tonight because I thought that's a good first song to get started on the session. It's the most comfortable song for me. And I spent six hours in there belting it out and it was absolutely, I thought the take was fantastic. And then I get done. And these guys didn't speak a word of English, by the way. Oh, really? Oh. No, translator? Oh. I had a translator. One translator. Yeah. I, well, I could, you're I could, writing songs with, with guys wanted, who don't speak English. And I had the melodies on sheet music. They wanted me to match the lyrics to match their melodies on sheet music. I did the session and it was great. And the producer says, Akihito Kenoshi, the guitar producer. Right. When I got done, six hours of screaming my ass off, belting it out. He goes, okay, now you do it again. You do it my way. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Why so didn't he just tell you that to begin with? Another six hours. Oh, my God. And I, I got the take done that ended up on the record. And I go back to the hotel, and I am literally dying. I, I, I got a fever. I was puking. I was oh, sweating. I was literally ready to throw myself off the top of the building because I've already spent half the money they gave me. To, you know, <laughs> they gave me a 50% a 50 deposit. And I was absolutely just beat and broken. And I'm laying there all night sweating and puking. And the next morning... About 8 o'clock, I called the record company and says, we're going to have to delay the session, man. I, I, I can't go in today. I just can't do it. And they said, oh, it's okay. We're going to come pick up your wife and kids. My wife and kids were at the hotel with me. And okay. They said, we'll, we'll That's pick awesome. Up, we'll pick up your wife and kids. We'll take them to the amusement park. And, you know, we'll, you rest and you know, take care of yourself and get better. And they called at 11 o'clock. And I'm still literally puke and sweat and just obliterated. They called at 11 o'clock and they said, we're here to pick up your wife and kids. I said, I'll be right down. And I walked down to the lobby of the hotel. I put my sweatpants on, leather jacket, walked into the lobby of the hotel. I'm literally a dead man walking. They said, what are you doing? I said, we're going to the studio. Get we're this gonna, thing done. We're going to cut some vocals today. I just knew if I had to get back on that horse yeah. and ride it. And I went into the studio, literally, with no sleep, no food, just dead. And I don't know where it came from, man, but we did that song, Ride Like the Wind, yeah. which is, in my opinion, the best song on the record. And I started, this voice came from nowhere. It was like a gift from God. It was amazing. One of those moments where I got this. You know, I got this. And I got that lead vocal done, and they were like, everybody's blown away. I could have easily backed off and backed down and just yeah. tucked my tail between my yeah. legs and threw myself off the top of the building, but I got back on that horse and rode it, and I finished that second song, which is a great vocal. Yep. And from there on, it was like, wait, every day I go to work, man. I'm carving tracks one line at a time, one song at a time, and got that album done. It's certainly something I'm really, really proud of. I lost 
30 pounds during the sessions. The last take of the last song, I'm laying on the carpet, just obliterated. Do you remember recording Hardware? Because that is my I remember every moment of song, that session, man. man. That is my favorite song, but you are pushing yourself. I can just hear it. You're pushing yourself to the But in a good place. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't overdriven. Yeah. But I'm Your like, voice was, I can, I can hear they the wanted, passion. They wanted that angry, aggressive, yeah. mean. I had a list of phrases because not, nobody in the session spoke English, and I didn't speak Japanese. I'd been there a few times, but I had a list of phrases. Please turn up the voice in the headphones. Can I hear that back? Let's do that again, please. Take it from the top. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's phrases right. that you're going to use in the course of a session. And I go in, and I got my little list, and I hear the first verse back, and I say this. Can I hear that back? They start laughing. I don't know what the hell I'm saying. It was you know, it's like the, the translator was not right. working. And they, would, they, they did have an interpreter there with me in the sessions, and he would say, they want you to sing it more mysterious. <laughs> yeah. It means more breath. It's <laughs> mysterious, right? So I'd use a little more breath, and it would work. And they'd say, "Okay, cool, move on." Has anybody ever said, "I need you to sing it more red"? Because I had somebody tell me in a session, like they were giving me red colors. Net? They were giving me red. colors. Oh, that's, they were that's giving me. me colors. I'm like, I got that covered. What the hell does that mean? Wow. Yeah, I want more you. To, I want you to go go orange on this one. Go orange. really? What the what? Oh, I want to work with that guy. <laughs> Whoever he is, I want to work with them. Let's do it. What, oh. a, what a great opportunity to share some of those obscure. Yeah. Saber Tiger stories go, in man. Obscuria. And I do love those stories. It's a great session and a very special memory for me. I don't think there are going to be any new Saber Tiger songs no. on the Keel World <laughs> album, but I would do it in a heartbeat. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's very expensive, obviously, to get the guys in Japan yeah. back yeah. and forth. But I would love to have a new Saber Tiger song on the Keel World. Well, Ron, cheers to you, man. Cheers Thank to you so too. much. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks. you guys. Thank you. Take it easy. Buy these guys a beer on my, put them on my tab, all right? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> Did we ever get those beers? <laughs> I don't think we did. Brad was feeding us beers the whole time, yeah, so we, we just forgot got to ask. Brad. So that was our obviously the end of our chat with Ron, and he mentioned Saber Tiger and the whole story. I love it. I love that we went down this path. And why don't we listen to the song that he says is the best song on the album? So here is Ride Like the Wind. Not Break Like the Wind. <laughs>
police are searching for a suspected vigilante killer who is reported to be a part of the Saber Tiger gang. Please be warned, this man is armed and dangerous. blistering it's yeah just like you said his vocals it just you can hear him pushing yeah. everything he has to get those out it just sounds amazing to me and the, the guitar player i mean it sounds similar to what you've played in the past as far as japanese rock and japanese metal but it was not as noodly as some of those other <laughs> some special of the k get, stuff yes. you've played special k what is it <laughs> visual, <laughs> visual k. k yeah that yes. stuff yes uh it's not as it, yeah. you know off the charts crazy but how did that go over in japan I mean, as far as I don't know. I mean, I know that Saber Tiger is still around to this day. It's it's. And kind have of they a, had any other American singers? Or that kind of a one. No, that deal? was a one-off thing, as far as I know. Okay, I don't. They're just they trying something that different. That's cool. I think they were signed to an international deal mm-hmm. with that first album, and then after that, I believe, if I'm right, I, I could be wrong on this, but I believe I read that it was only Japan and Asia, right? Regional, that, regional kind of thing. But so, even though our interview is done, I want to play one more thing because we didn't get a chance to talk about this and this one's a little harder to find information on but after that live album that we played the Kiel live album mm-hmm. that came out in 89 Ron disbanded Kiel and for some reason he put together this group called Fair Game with four female backup musicians mm-hmm. who were attractive but it was kind of like a I don't know if he was going for like a novelty thing or what he was going for but they were called Ron Keel's Fair Game yep. and I think they were just going by Fair Robert Game Robert Palmer did that that's what he was known for well that was in a video though <laughs> that wasn't really 
Yeah. That wasn't real? Mm, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. They weren't really playing those instruments? When I see them dancing and not moving their fingers on the guitar, I don't think they're playing. I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he puts together this thing. They record a couple of songs that are featured on the soundtrack to kind of a direct-to-video horror movie called Bad Channels, which Blue Oyster Cult was also on. Oh, God. And that was kind of a... So I'll just throw this in real quick. Brandon Still, our good friend Brandon Still, mm-hmm. he reached out to me. I don't know. This is probably a year ago. And he's like, hey, I bet I know a... a obscure Blue Oyster Cold album you don't know about. I'm like, are you talking about Bad Channels? He came out like, damn, damn it! it. <laughs> Son of a... God! So anyway, Ron was also on the Bad Channels soundtrack and it was just listed as Fair Game and they had two songs on that, but they recorded a whole album. It didn't get released until 2000. I don't know what the story is there. I don't know if, you know, that was something that he was going to do. They put out those two songs on Bad Channels and then he just realized, oh, this just isn't going to yeah, work. He, yeah, went, maybe he went the country route after that. You know, I, I'm not really sure, but I did want to play this little nugget of time capsule from 1991. This is re-released as Ron Kill's Fair Game. And this is a song called Beauty and the Beast from the album that they also titled Beauty and the Beast. Check this out. That's right. This is Ron Keel and I'm coming back to San Diego with my new band. Fair Game! Catch your live world premiere Saturday night, March 9th at the Bucket Yeah! Me and the girls are gonna rock you right!
Ladies and gentlemen, if you are on the younger side of our listener base and you weren't alive in 1991 or you weren't really of age, let's just say you may not remember the 80s up until 90, 91, that intro wasn't parody. That was actual stuff that was cool. That was every radio station. Every radio station out there. I mean, it's so Spinal tapish now, and we love it still. Even I don't care if it's Spinal tapish, I still love it. But you've got to remember, that was dead serious. That and That's at, how the ads played. Yeah, and at that point in time, we all thought it was going to be this way for another 10 years. Yeah. Little did we know, and little did they know, you know, what was lurking, was percolating, let's By just say. By the end of that year. By the end of that year. Everything <laughs> would change. So fast. Which I is mean, probably why Fair Game went away. Right, right. It was just bad timing. If that had been four years earlier, maybe they would have had four good years. But it's just amazing to listen to how cheeseball that is. And it's easy <laughs> to make fun of it now, but God almighty, that was normal. I mean, we could go through all the unobscure, the actual popular bands that were just as god-awful. Oh, yeah. Every cheesy and every concert wacky. that came close to you, that's how the ads were. Yeah. I mean, that's what that was, was a radio ad to promote the show, and that's how they all were mm-hmm. back then. You go on YouTube and you listen to any Motley Crue or Rat or yeah. whoever, whatever hairband you want, that's exactly how they sounded. And by 91, the spandex and all that stuff, is, and the, the glam part of it had started to tame. Started to fade. Started to fade, yeah. but it was still that vibe. It was still there. And, the sound and, was there. Yeah, and that whole way of playing ads was still there into yeah. the 90s. Even once the grunge kind of hit, a lot of the ads and the way that they promoted bands, it was still the same. Yeah, it took a while for the industry to change. People's taste changed quickly. Yeah. The industry was hesitant. They'd sunk a lot of money into these bands and they were going to just throw them away. Yeah. They eventually did, but it took a, a minute. But I would say MTV kind of, they kind of helped change the way that they promoted bands a little bit. Yeah. It took a while for radio to catch up. Yeah, as always. They're still trying to figure things out. But yeah, I didn't didn't get a chance to ask him about that little Yeah, gym. that would have been funny. Next time, we'll <laughs> hang out with him. I hope Maybe he'll be there next year. Yeah, I hope we get a chance to talk to him again. You know, I, I've been a fan again since I was 14, so it was a real privilege for me to be able to talk to Ron, and just such a cool dude. I've heard him on other shows, and he's always the same. He's just a genuine person. He's, yeah. You know, a good songwriter. He he does what he does, and he doesn't make any, you know, he doesn't apologize for not being, following trends or anything like that. Yeah. He does what Ron Kill does. And, and that's does probably well. why he's still probably why he's around, he's around. and You're doing right. things and trying things. He's not somebody that's just going to sit around and wait for the world to come to him. He's going to go out there and find it. Yeah, and he's a man, he's a mover and a shaker. He is always out there doing stuff. I think I saw when he got, when he left Rock and Pod a few weeks ago, he went immediately, he had done shows before that, acoustic shows. He went immediately and did, I don't know, three or four shows. Mm-hmm. I think he's just now getting back to going back home and then he's back on the road again. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just always playing, always has something. He teased a little something that's coming up. I believe he's putting a, an album together that will come out soon. It's that, a Christmas compilation. I don't know. I think it's, it's going to kind of celebrate a lot of his you know different facets of his career and what mm-hmm. he's done but looking forward to that and yeah hope we get to talk to him again uh, cards are ripe all right until next time see you later <laughs>